Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This episode of Red Inca, Bayram Kazi comes on to host the show to talk to me about the batters who are best against right arm seam in T20. We talk Alex Hales, throwdowns, openers in the middle, spin specialists, and how the future might be changed by the fact we know all this information. Hello, everyone. This is Behram Kazi. And today we're going to have a chat with Jared Kimber about his piece, The Right Arm Bashers. So, Jared, tell me, what is the premise of this piece and what was your inspiration behind it? Was it something you were thinking about for a while or was it like an epiphany of sorts? I don't know how I first came into this, but I know that I kept watching a lot of Blast games when I was in the UK and I kept watching all these English guys smash every right arm seamer out of the park. And then the minute someone bowled left arm or spin, no one seemed to be able to ever hit them unless they were like a part-timer. And so I think there was something in my head. And then I, as I got deeper into the data, I, I can't remember what I was even writing about at the time, but I think I was looking for, no, I'll tell you what it was. I was trying to work out 
if there were players who were better against spin than they were against pace. And the only, I think the only player I could find, or certainly the only player that really popped was Cameron Akmal, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone else had a better record against pace than seam, pace than spin, sorry. And I remember thinking, right. at time, but that can't be right. That doesn't even make sense. Like, um, there are spin specialists and guys who get picked for this all the time. And then you start to work it out. But then you work out that the real, what, what I'm really saying is that almost every batter in the world is basically good at, let's say they're very good at spin turning away from them, right? So mm-hmm. I think I think Virat Kohli might be one of those guys. He prefers the ball spinning away than spinning in. He likes the ball spinning away, so he likes leg spin, and he likes left arm finger spin, and he likes right arm seam. He doesn't particularly like off spin as much. He doesn't like left arm seam as much. And once I started working this out, I was like, oh, God, there's hundreds of these players, right? Martin Guptill's got this. I can't even remember what Martin Guptill's is, but Martin Guptill has this weird pattern. And then, you know, I get to Ben Dunk, who, of course, is, you know, one of my obsessions. And you look at Ben <laughs> Dunk, and he's basically very, very good against right arm seam and the world's best player against left arm finger spin, right? Everything else, Ben Dunk's not particularly good against. I can say, I can certainly, I've already said this in another video, but I can say this now. I think he's retired now, isn't he? I think he's a coach somewhere now, but... Yeah, yeah. Funky Dunky of PSL legend as well. I think he even was in the coaching staff of the Columbus for a tiny bit. Uh, he should have got a, uh, a chewing gum sponsorship in the PSL, couldn't it? Shouldn't yeah, have, but, but, absolutely. Well, sorry, bubble gum, I should say, if we're going to be really apt there. Mm-hmm. But, so I noticed these things happening and I remember talking to some coaches, you know, and these are proper like major coaches. And they were saying to me, uh, especially about counter cricket, they were saying that essentially I, I, the way they put it was, let's say there's 200 professional level bowlers in England at any one time. They were saying that more often than not, 140 of those will be right arm seam. Right? They, we know England doesn't produce a lot of top quality spinners. They've got, you know, even Don Bess who played, you know, Don Bess and Mo and Ali, both part-time, wow, both all-rounders. <laughs> Mo and Ali wasn't even a full-time bowler when he was young. Don Bess, you go back, Mike Yardy. They've had a lot of guys who weren't even spinners that have played as spinners. Left arm bowlers, up until recently, they couldn't find any, right? It was like Ryan's side bottom through to whatever was happening with Reese <laughs> Topley's body. There was kind of no one in the middle, you know, occasional Mark Footett mentions. Oh, he was a good bowler. I'll talk to you about him another day. But <laughs> they were basically saying that you had to be good against right arm seam to be professional in English cricket. And and then they, were, then they started talking to me about the nets and everything as well. So in the nets, the majority of the bowlers who were good enough to test these guys in the nets were also then right arm seamers because those were the guys most likely not to have a contract, right? The guys just on the fringes were going to be right arm seamers. And then the next thing they were saying is that the majority of the coaches are right arm. So when they do throwdowns, which are almost always fast throwdowns, it's going to be as a right arm seamer again or right arm a thrower again. And I, I mean, to show you how far this has gone, I forget his name now. Um, Donovan, what's his name, who now uh, who, who coached England during the World Cup. One of the reasons that they got him involved with, with coaching was because he threw left arm um, in the nets. Like, he built a career off that. I think he's a fantastic coach and, you know, he's done well in the, in the um, CPL and should be at a far higher level than he is, you know, from, from talking to people who've worked with him. But the truth is, and he's not the only guy in the world that's had this, there's other guys who are very good at doing throwdowns with their left arms who've done very, very well. That tells you how inequality, inequal it is. And that's England cricket. But when you start to talk, and I remember doing this survey on my, of my Twitter fans one time, and I got like 500 responses. I said, close your eyes. There's a bowler coming into you. What are they bowling? Right? And the vast majority said right arm seam. And we never talk about the fact that 50% of the balls we see at international level come from this one kind of bowling. And the lower the levels you go down, the more right arm seam there is, right? It's not, it's not less right arm seam anywhere. Um, and, and you cannot be a professional batter without conquering this thing. And this piece has been in my head for years. I just wasn't in every, it was one of those pieces that I knew would take a lot of work. And so when I hired Cheyenne, I said to Cheyenne, here's this piece I've never got around to writing, but I'm absolutely fascinated by it. Can you just look at last three years? Tell me what you can find. He came back. He he wrote the initial draft and then I rewrote it. And we had a guy called Whitwick who's been helping us with a lot of stats as well. And he got interested in it. And so it was like a three-man tag team in the end to try and come about it. But yeah, it was, you know, for me, it, it's been something that's just been on my mind for a long time because I don't think people actually 
even though we all know there's a lot of right arm seam, I don't think people really factor in that you could be bang average or even below average against every other kind of bowling. But if you're the world's best player of right arm seam, you're still a really good professional cricketer, probably an international cricketer. Especially if half of the deliveries are being delivered by a right arm seamer. And I mean, if I think back to like gully cricket or tape ball cricket in Pakistan, you'd barely see any left arm seamers and everyone bowls pace. So that's all right arm pace. And uh, you, of course, mentioned the data for the last three years. And I'm going to jump into the juicy stuff right away. So you singled out Alex Hales in the start of this piece as one of the guys who averages 162 odd uh Versus right arm pace in the last Strikes three years. against, not and averages. Is, yeah, sorry, not <laughs> it averages. It would be incredible, oh, the average. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, my uh, massive blunder. But yeah, strikes at 162. And then his strike rate versus all other types of bowling drops down by 27. But my question to you is, why single out Alex Hales when you've got Riley Rousseau, who uh, strikes at the highest rate versus right arm pace in the last three years, almost 200, and his av- or strike rate drops down significantly versus all of the types of bowl, all, all of the types of bowling. And what's more interesting is that Riley Rousseau is not an opener. Mm. He comes in the middle order. I mean, he's batting at four for Delhi currently, and I think for Multan Sultans he comes at one uh, down or first drop. So why is Riley not opening, and why is he not the focal point of the start of this article? Given that there's such a massive slide between his strike rate versus right arm seamers and strike rate versus all of the types of bowlers. I think with Alex Hales, he is one of the players I first noticed this with, and so mm-hmm. I, I, it's not like I said to Cheyenne and and, and Ritwick. Find me Alex Hale's numbers. I just said, (laughs) find the numbers. And when that came back, if I go back to my notes from 2016, I have that written down somewhere, which is, is Alex Hale's, can he only hit uh, right arm seam? And if you go back and you have a look at when he first played in the IPL, I can't remember what his strike rate was, but he couldn't hit the ball off the square against everyone else. I think he's actually improved. But when I looked at Alex Hale's, he had all these real, what's the best way? Peccadillos within his batting, (laughs) which were really quite interesting. So he had at one stage a strike rate of, I want to say about 145, 150 in T20 cricket. I think we both know that's pretty good. But when I looked at it, he had a strike rate of 135 outside of Trent Bridge and a strike rate of something like 190 or 200 at Trent Bridge, right? And then he fixed that and he started to make runs in other places. Uh, And then when he did that, he then... Almost all of those extra strike rate bonus that he got came off one kind of bowling. And I also wanted him to stand in from the England part of this because I do think that Mm -hmm. specifically England, you could probably put West Indies and South Africa in this, that for whatever reason, those three places don't produce as much left arm scene. And so if you're coming up, like if you think about it, you know, you've got Wayne Parnell, uh, Buren Hendricks, Obed McCoy, there's a couple of others in uh, Sheldon Cottrell. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now you've got Sam Curran and um, Tamal Mills and Reese Topley. But Reece Topley, there aren't yeah. many below that level. Whereas, you know, if you look at Pakistan cricket or New Zealand cricket or Australian cricket, there's always like a bunch of left armors around at any one time, which means that specifically that the problem I think is more acute there where there just aren't left arm seamers that you face kind of at any level on the way up. Right. So if you're if you're a very average left arm bowler in England, you're probably going to be playing county cricket. Whereas that's not the case in some of the other first class setups because you're going up against just more and more, you know, even the whole Neil Wagner story of, oh, you know, Neil Wagner didn't make it in South Africa. It was like, yeah, but that was mostly because he happened to be at a, at a franchise that had like Dale Steyn and the Morco brothers and Andre Nell. If he'd been another one, he probably gets a pretty good run at first-class cricket at that point. So anyone who's even averagely talented with the left arm gets that. So with the England batters, I wanted that specifically. Riley Rousseau, the reason that we didn't focus on him is in the end, Aiden Markram, as as you'll know in the article, becomes a little bit more interesting. But also Riley Rousseau is like a very, very recent uh, star. Riley Rousseau was a very mm-hmm. average player for a long period of time, and he's completely changed who he is as a player, how he bats, where he attacks, all those sorts of things. And I kind of want to see more about him, whereas Alex Hales represents what I would say is these England hitters, very, very limited mm-hmm. players who probably can't conquer the red ball, who are very, very good, but at 
at just a couple of things. And if you think of Alex Hales, like I could have gone deeper on Alex Hales, right? The <laughs> fact that he had so much of a great record from one cricket ground and then from one kind of bowling shows how limited he is. It doesn't say that he's not good because the ability to be that good in those two things is still remarkable, right? But it shows how limited he is. And I think the more we're seeing of these England players come through, the more we're seeing that you bowl right arm seam at almost any pace to them and they will smack you for six. The minute you're a left arm seamer, the minute that there's different kind of slow pitches, the minute that the spin becomes a big thing, these players don't look at, you know, Liam Livingston uh, can't play leg spin, right? Jason Roy mm -hmm. for a very long time couldn't play leg spin. Johnny Bairstow and Jason Roy both struggled with left arm seam. They've all got these big holes in their games. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think that's something to do with the English system and the way they come out. And I thought that Alex Hales was a very good way of discussing that. I think, though, the further you go, what you realize is that this thing of some players being very right um, hand, uh, right arm seam dependent is not specifically an English thing on its own. And it really is uh, more to do with the fact that that's what you get noticed for, right? If you're 16 and you're in the Nets, there might be two good spinners there. Like, even if you're in Asia, there might be two, maybe three good spinners there. There's going to be five to six fast bowlers who are really good with the right arm. Maybe you've got a young Mitchell Johnson or, you know, Wahab Riaz or, you know, Trent Bolt in the nets. Chances are you don't. And so the majority of how you are rated is going to be how you go up against those right arm seams. So on every level, every player in the world does that. I just think that it's more heightened with England and we're seeing something that we don't know. We, we don't know at the moment, I suppose is the best way of saying, whether this England batting lineup is, you know, the baseball and the white ball and everything we're seeing is actually one generation of cricketers. And the more I look at that next generation, I do see more holes in their games than I did in, in the previous guys that go through, which is a really interesting thing going forward. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Right now, let's move on to the flip side of things. Worst strike rates in the last 3 years versus right arm base seamers. And we've got Mohammed Naeem over here from Bangladesh. Strikes at just over 100 versus right arm pace. And you're like, okay, he can probably be excused because he probably has some utility versus all other types of bowling. But versus all other types of bowling, that strike rate slips to below 100, like around 80, which is quite ridiculous. So uh, on a lighter note, why is Mohammed Naeem playing T20 cricket? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good question. I, look, I think he is a talented player. I don't know how much you've seen of him play. I think there's talent there. I think we do see occasionally with young Bangladeshi players who look very proper that they get a longer rope. I think there aren't many, what, technically incorrect Bangladeshi batters, right? But Bangladeshi batting is really similar to women's batting. They all look good technically, <laughs> but none of them hit it off the square. I should say women's hmm. batting seven years ago, maybe not women's batting today. Yeah. You know, there's a lot I mean, of... Alyssa Healy would have a, have a few words. With yeah, that. but if you go back, <laughs> I won't get into the full reasons why women don't weren't playing power games, but there's, I think it's a similar kind of thing of that Bangladeshi batters look 
more technically correct than, and this is a little bit of an Asian thing, but you don't really see it as much in Sri Lanka. So it's not Asian, Asian, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think that there is a lack of the power game in Bangladesh. And I think it has to do with the pitches. I think it has to do with the way that they coached and everything else. And I think that when they look at him, they, they, they still see someone who should be better than he is. I, he's 24. I don't want to throw him under the bus completely for the rest of his career. If he ever has a strike rate above 120 for a three-year period in T20 cricket, he's going to have to have completely changed his game. He's clearly an international <laughs> quality player in some formats, and there's talent there. But when you talk about that record, the other players that you're looking at with that record are mostly all-rounders, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and right. not particularly high-performing all-rounders either. It's it's. Mm -hmm. I found it shocking that he played so much and that people are still waiting for it to come good. But I do think it tells you a little bit about the BPL as much as anything, where they are throwing these players in for year after year um, and hoping some of them get good. It's a really, I've said this before, when you look at the BPL, my first thought was everyone who goes to BPL doesn't make any runs. And then I started looking at it and it's like, no, the people who make runs are the overseas players and the people who don't are the local yeah. players. There's a reason there. And he, look, he, he's become, I, I, he wasn't someone I thought would come up in this. I thought there'd be some like stodgy opener somewhere who'd made a lot of runs really slowly. I think that's the other thing that's noticeable is there are no, all the, all the anchors in the world, they're still scoring at maybe a below average speed against right arm um, seam, but they're not scoring at like below a strike rate of 110 against it, right? They're, they're, those players just almost don't exist, which tells you how, whereas, you know, if you have a look at, remember Darren Sammy at one stage had a strike rate against spin of 88, right? There's lots of players in the world who strike at around run a ball against spin. There's lots of players in the world who strike at around a run a ball against left arm seam. Against spin that spins away from them, whatever that may be. Right arm seam, we're talking about the one guy who's a specialist batter who's on that list. That tells you just how rare it is. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you make a very valid point with respect to the BPN and also the fact that you get ranked turners over there often. Mm -hmm. And maybe that has some sort of a role to play in this as well. But yeah, I mean, if you're Mohammed Naim, best shut this podcast right yeah. now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> apologies to him moving and his family. Forward, you mentioned. Yeah, you mentioned Aiden Markram earlier, and this is one of the very, very interesting takeaways from this piece, of course. And we're going to move uh, from strike rates to averages. And in the highest averages versus right arm pace in the last three years, Aiden Markram is on number two. And uh, he actually strikes at over 150 as well, yeah. which is quite remarkable, really, if you think I about think it. I think you could argue then, he's probably, if you consider the high average and the high strike rate, the best mm -hmm. all-round player against right arm seam in the world. You could you could definitely argue yeah, and that. He also offers uh, something with the ball as well. Terrific fielder. And is someone who has opened the batting. It's not like something that is alien to him. We've seen Markram open the batting, but he doesn't do that in T20 cricket anymore. And that really baffles me because if he is striking at 150 versus right arm pace and averaging the second best across the world in the last three years, then what is he doing in the middle order where his uh, average takes a significant dip, really? And yeah, I mean, it's quite baffling, isn't it? Mm. Uh, what do you have to take? What do you have to say on that? Yeah, I think with Markram, I'm, I was pre-obsessed with Markram, right? And I'll tell you why. Because, in fact, it's uh, our mutual friend, Mickey Arthur, um, where <laughs> me and Mickey Arthur commentated on a bunch of games that Markham played against England and we got into the weeds. Like I mined the CrickViz database, you know, um, they, they were great. I think it was Soham was working for us in, in that, uh, those games. And we went deep into Markham because I asked a simple question of CrickViz and they came back with the fact that he averages more when he plays attacking shots than when he plays strike rotating sh shots, right? No one does that. Right, strike rotating is your bread and butter. If you are a top quality batter like right. him, right, the only players who would do that might be like guys who can't strike rotate, who can only hit boundaries. Right, it's very very rare, but no one does that. No top level player would ever do that. So straight away you're going, what a bizarre thing. How is it that hmm. this guy looks so brilliant at the crease, and if you say hit a boundary, Markram will get the huge, you know front leg down the wicket and smash one back over your head and you say get a six singles off the next over and he's just as likely to chip one to mid wicket as he is to actually hit a single so in my mind i was already like there's something not quite right about his game then he comes up on this and you're like whoa 
I knew how good he was at the death against seam bowling because I think we've all seen it where he plays those innings where he's 20 mm. off 20 and you're like, mate, come on. And then he just goes, six, six, four, six, six, four. And you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's okay. And he does that a lot. So I think there's a part of him that likes to be set when he faces the seamers. But as you've said, if you are this much better against seam, uh, right arm seam specifically, but any seam really, I think in his case, than you are against anything else, would it not make sense for him to open the batting? Then you have to get into the whole thing of, is he only so good against seam because he's facing it because he's 20 off 20 every time, right? Hmm? Is it worth him in your team to be 20 off 20 for those occasional explosions for all the other innings where he gets to 15 or 15 and gets out? Right. And is it worth yeah. him scoring slower against spin all those times to score faster against seam later on? It, it just opens up this unanswerable questions with someone like Aiden Markram. What I would say is to go back to the England point, and I don't really talk about this as much in the video is the fact that he can't strike rotate, but can hit fours and sixes goes back to my original point. He, and if you look at him, he's a, I remember Matt Pryor was on, on TalkSport with us and me, Matt Pryor, he was, it was, he was the third wheel and in, in the, uh, uh, in the Aiden Markram obsessed stakes. And what Matt was saying is, if you look at him, he looks like a, um, a throwdowns guy, right? He gets into the big, strong position and then he just goes through the line. And once he does that, you're gone. There's not much you can do to him. But once you start to mix up all that sort of, all, all that sort of cricket and he has to think about more than just hitting the ball as far as he can, it affects his brain. If you think about what he does in T20 cricket, he basically milks the spinners for about 12 to 18 balls. And then he, and then once he sees the seamers again, he doesn't have to worry about singles anymore unless, unless, you know, there's a ball he can't hit for six, right? He, so suddenly batting becomes very simple for him. I either keep the ball out or I hit it for four or six. And I think when you and I look at that, we could make a very good argument that he should be batting further up the, the order, but I don't really work with players that much anymore. Uh, you know, occasionally a player will, you know, see a video of mine, ask me some questions, but I don't work with players as much as I used to for this sort of stuff, partly because I'm not at grounds anymore. So they can't just come up and ask me to open the, my laptop. Aiden Markram is a cricketer that I would absolutely love to work with him, his agent, his personal coach, because I think he's, there are things in his career that they are not getting right. And you could actually unlock him further as a player um, if that was the case. And it's, it's so interesting. So for me, as I said, he might be the best player of pace in the world. And yet when playing pace is at its most important, which is really in the power play, right? That's when you want someone who can have a high average, ding, ding, mm -hmm. ding, and a high strike rate, ding, 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 right? He's not facing Absolutely. it, right? And it's mm -hmm. such a remarkable thing. And I would have to say it's probably the choice of maybe his team and also his franchise, um, but he must be agreeing to that, right? I, I find it absolutely – I'd love to sit him down and chat to him about it and go deeper. And, you know, South Africa have got some good analysts and obviously uh, – who's he with now? Is it Sunrisers? No. I think he is with I the Sunrisers, I can't remember yes. who anyone's with until the teams are in front of me. <laughs> but he was with the Sunrisers at one stage. They obviously had a good mm -hmm. analyst for a while as well. Like there's some good analysts he's been involved with. He is with the Sunrisers. I just remembered him celebrating when they just beat uh, – who was it? Um, Someone. No, they beat matter. a team. Yeah. But, but yeah. The, <laughs> oh, Rajasthan, Rajasthan. When they beat yeah, Rajasthan. So there's some good analysts out there that he works with, right? It's a really, really interesting one. So for me, you know, he could be the one where I'm not sure what the conversation is with Alex Hales, right? Alex Hales is, is, is almost there. Oh, and I think one of the other reasons I would say, that, you know, just lastly on Aiden Markham is I've been obsessed with him for a long time because I thought by now he'd be one of the world's best batters captain of South mm -hmm. Africa, a star in the IPL. He's not far off being a star in the IPL, but he's certainly not in the top 10 players in the IPL the way that I would have thought someone with his talent was. He's been dropped by the South African team. He's there and thereabouts, but he's not an absolute superstar. He hasn't become captain largely because they haven't got as much out of his batting as they would have thought. There's, there's something not quite clicking. And I think that if you unlock two or three things from his career – it's the it's a bit like the AB Davies is getting kicked up the ass by Jas Callis. Was it Callis? No, Graham Smith. Whoever it was, Graham Smith. Yeah, Graham Smith. who yelled at him at, at the Oval or Lords? No, Lords, wasn't it? There's something that he's been allowed to cruise for too long, but he's so fascinating. So yeah, I, yeah for me, he might be the best player of run I'm seeing in the world, um, and yet he's not being maximised. It's such a 
random thing. Or here's the other thing I throw at you. He's not the best player of right arm seam in the world, but because he never faces it in the power play, um, <laughs> he has a better record than he should. I'm throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, that could be possible. But what I would really be interested in is, okay, let's f- forget franchise cricket for a moment. Let's look at South Africa as a national team in the last three years. And Temba Bavuma opens for them, right? So that really is a hair raiser because, I mean, you don't play Faf Duplessis anymore in South African international cricket. And you've got Temba opening and you're wasting Markram in the middle order. Sure, he does come and finish off well at the death. But again, I think the utility definitely is not being maximized. But I mean... I mean, I hope he is able to unlock a few different gears to his game because he's still 28 Mm. and he was captain of the under-19 squad for South Africa at that World Cup, which I believe they won, if I'm not wrong. That was the Rabada one, wasn't it? They might have beaten Pakistan. They might have beaten Pakistan in the final. I can't remember if he was captain, but yes, you're right. They beat... Hmm. In my timeline... That would have been 2013, 2014. So that would seem like it would be Mark. That's what I mean. Everything points to him being... One of the best players this in the world. This was the Sami Aslam and Imamul Haq yes. Pakistan team. That I remember. So you look at you look at everything about him, and it's like something has just not quite working the way it should. And this is just another mm-hmm. example of that where you're just like, wait, what? Why is he not up the order? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is quite harrowing, really. And I mean, I don't think Demba plays T20 cricket anymore, so maybe they could try that out. Um, okay, moving forward, we're obviously talking about right arm pace and strike rates and averages in the last three years versus that type of bowling. And I don't think any piece or article with respect to strike rate and averages in T20 cricket would be complete if we don't talk about Babar Azam and Mohammad Rizwan. Mm. Of course, have had a lot of success for Pakistan and in their averages versus right arm pace in the last three years, they find themselves in the top five. Rizwan, I believe, is at number one, if I'm not wrong, in average. No one is surprised by that though, are they? Yeah, absolutely not. And uh, I mean, they get a lot of flack, right? A fair bit of criticism for their strike rates in general. And if you look at their strike rates versus other types of bowling, they're not as high as they are versus right arm pace. So would that fix the strike rate conundrum for Babar Azam and Mohammad Rizwan if they just start to take more chances versus right arm pace? Do you think that's like a viable solution to that problem? I think I'm going to base this on the numbers, but also just on the eye test they're not really bothered by right arm pace, right? That's not to say they can't get dismissed by it or a great bowler can't bowl a good ball or whatever. You watch them against off-spin particularly, they don't look as comfortable, right? And I mean, and by that I mean scoring and staying in. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what their test numbers are against spin. Uh, I'm more talking about T20 specifically. But that ability mm-hmm. to score and stay in, they don't really seem to have it against off-spin. So... It would be hard for me to say that they should attack off spin more, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that I, I can't remember one of them's good against left arm. Yeah, I don't have the full numbers in front of me, but <laughs> I'm not sure there's anything else where I'm like these guys are so good against this you could maximize this. Now, what's Rizwan's average? I know it's ridiculous, but I want you to say it out loud. It's probably what uh, fifty eight or something like that. I'm yeah. not sure. So it's something like that. If he was averaging forty five against right arm pace mm-hmm. and striking it. 145 right that's and think about this we we discussed it before 49 percent of t20 balls are right on pace it's if you take a a, an extra 10 or 15 um hike up in your strike rate and you lose let's say another 10 or 15 off your average in his case you're still a better player right Mm -hmm. now we know with those two guys they've convinced themselves that their roles are perfect and and the way that they play works, and we understand it. We also understand that Pakistan is a bowling-heavy side, so when they're playing for mm-hmm. Pakistan specifically, it makes more sense. Maybe it doesn't make as much sense in the PSL sometimes, um, and when they play for other franchises. It's over 60, by the way. I just checked. It's over 60 versus right arm pace. In so let's say Rizwan's So average. let's say he dropped 20, <laughs> and for that, he got a, uh, a hit of, a, of 15 in his strike rate, That and that's half of his balls. That means his overall strike rate would go up 7.5. Right, mm. it, that's how stark we're talking about. And realistically, if he drops an average of twenty, he could actually have a bigger thing. He is a beautiful player of Ryan Armstrong, right? And I remember Trent Woodhill years ago. We were talking about what he does with T Twenty players, and and my first thought was, oh, you know, you probably teach them a bunch of new shots, or whatever. And he said, no, no, no. If I get a guy who comes to me and he says my best shots to cut, I work out how to make sure he can cut more. 
right? Even mm -hmm. if his average goes down against the cut a little bit more, we know he's going to hit so many boundaries and it's going to worry other teams so much. They're probably still not going to do that. And if he can cut from the top of off stump, consistently, even if a, every now and again he misses it, gets clean bowled, or, you know, he gets a couple of top edges through the keeper or whatever that may be, um, we're willing to do that because we know there's going to be a huge bump. His Rizwan's cut in this, in that, you know, uh, now an analogy is against right arm seam, right? So we know he can do this. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think anyone who would follow any of my T20 work would know where I stand on, on Rizwan and Baba. I think they're way too good to be striking at the rates that they do. I think they take way too much of what I would call the, the innings real estate. They're taking too long to get to their maximum strike rates, which means that everyone else has to bat quickly or your tail has to go good or your bowlers have to um, be better than the opposition bowlers in every particular game. I don't think that's a realistic aim. And based on this, without doing a deep dive on just the two of them, but based on this and based on everything I've ever seen of them, it would make sense that they should trade in some of that average for a better strike rate. And they're so good against right arm seam that I actually don't think they'd have to trade in like 15 or 20 runs from their average to get a bump, right? Just Yeah, uh, and if, if you look at the strike rates, right? Uh, career strike rates are probably in the late 120s. If they just start to go a little better or up the ante versus right arm pace, they'll probably lose like three, four runs, but they might be able to get to 137, 138, which would pretty much solve that problem. If, you, if they could get to 135 plus and still maintain good averages, which is absolutely no reason, having a look at everything that we know about them, that they shouldn't be able to do that, they are suddenly much more important. It's really, it's the 120 strike rate. It's just too low, right? Mm -hmm. And also, quite often, as you and I know, they're, max, they're, they're starting to get to their better strike rates at the end of their innings. It's not, mm -hmm. there is a... There is a difference, and we I don't know if we know how to qualify this yet, but there is a difference between someone who can strike at 128 from first ball to last ball and someone who strikes at run a ball for ages and then strikes at 145 at the end. It does cause more problems uh, because it means mm -hmm. that everyone else has to bat differently around them. And so all those things matter. Look, they're fantastic players. They're not the only players in the world that have issues like this. And I think that once you are averaging over... 40 against the most you know profitable or the most used type of bowling in the world it that average what's the best way of putting it that average almost becomes redundant if you're not then striking at 140 145 150 because at that point you're saying that well the kind of bowling that everyone smashes in the world i don't go out to well that means all <laughs> the other guys who could also come in and smash it aren't getting the chance to face it because you're facing more of it like, do you know what I mean? You've got to maximize that advantage. And that's not what they're doing. I think maybe they might even have to look or should look at the balls per boundary uh, statistic, right? That you also mentioned in this piece. Because if you just look at their balls per boundary um, metrics for right arm space in particular, if they can just aim to increase yeah. that, that might even solve a lot of problems for them. But anyway, moving on to another Pakistani, of course, that you highlighted in this piece, and that is Shadab Khan. Is it a great now, that anyone... I got you on? This is the first time you've ever like hosted a Red Inca with me. Is it, you're the first yeah. person to host a Red Inca with me like as a proper host um, since Subash right. used to do it, which was, I don't know, when we started this podcast. And the first one I've got in without even noticing, I said, just, <laughs> we'll do this one. I completely forgot that this has <laughs> Pakistanis all the way through for you. You're at home turf, man. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Shadab Khan, anyone who has followed his T20 career, they know that Shadab Khan, the batter, has been criminally underutilized by the Pakistan national team. Not franchise cricket, Islamabad United, where he is captain now. They utilize him fairly well. And sometimes you even see him coming down at one down or two down. And I think Shadab Khan at number four is quite a viable option, particularly because of what you highlight in this piece. Now, if you just look at the middle overs, right, as you suggest in the piece, that Shadab Khan versus spin bowling in the middle overs has a strike rate of one run more than the rest of the batters in the globe versus spin in the middle overs. That is quite the statistic. And that tells you that Shadab Khan, the spin basher, is real. Mm. And if, and, and, and his strike rate versus pace at the death isn't, you know, bad either. So he can actually do a job for you at the end as well. So why not use or utilize more of Shadab Khan? in your middle order when you have a player of that unique 
ability who is a run above the other batters in the world. And I mean, it's, you know, the way you put it in the piece, it really is like a, uh, it's mind boggling that Pakistan haven't opted for this more often, given that they do have or have had middle order woes in the past. So would you say this has been like a criminal sort of uh, uh, offense by Pakistan's management? No. I think it probably mm-hmm. goes back to the fact that the overall analysis in the Pakistan cricket team is not quite at the level of some of the other teams. And I think mm. that if you, most people deal in raw numbers, right? And if you look at raw numbers, and this is why I wanted to use Shadab. A, because I knew that when I first looked at his raw numbers, I was like, wait a minute, he's got a better strike rate against pace and spin. That doesn't make any sense because he's the spin smasher. Yeah. And then I, then I had to break it down. And then you realize the reason he has a better pace uh, average, oh, sorry, strike rate against um, pace than spin is because he's facing all of his pace at the death and he's facing all of his spin mm. in the middle. And even then, there's still not that much difference between the two. And I think if you look at him at the end, he's good against pace. Like, he can get the ball around. He's not like an elite death hitter or anything like that. No one's mm-hmm. going to confuse him for that. But he's good at getting boundaries. And and then if you look at his record against spin, as I said, the strike rate overall is slightly lower. If you just look at those raw numbers. But the important thing is that when he's actually facing pace and spin at the same time, He's way better against pace. Uh, sorry, way better against spin than he is against pace. And that's when that's when you notice that there is a huge advantage to having him in those middle overs. And that doesn't come out of the raw numbers. And the reason I use Shadab for this is because I know he's good against spin. And I know he should be playing more in the middle order. And it was obvious to me. I just had to find the numbers to back that up, right? But it took me a little bit of work to do that. But this is, comes back to the thing I was talking about before. When I couldn't find a player in the world outside of Cameron Akmal who was better against spin than they were against pace. And my first thought was, oh, well, spin bowlers are dominating. And then I went, oh, but spin bowlers bowl in the middle overs. Right? Right. And so you then start to go, well, wait a minute. If we look at this contextually, right, which is kind of what I did with Shadab in this case, I took away Shadab's death um, hitting because he'd only faced like, 20 balls from spinners at the depth. 22. Yeah, 22. And almost all of those I checked were when wickets were full. Like, basically, the spinners were bowling because the wicket was ragging. So he hadn't even attacked mm-hmm. the spinners at the death because he'd been trying to survive them in on those games. Um, whereas when it was in the middle and there was it was even contest and it could go in either direction, he couldn't get the seamers away. But he absolutely was massacring the spinners to whatever it was, one, one and a half runs more and over than he was. Um, against the the the, um, the the quicks, and that's the other thing here is I'm sitting here saying that everyone is good against right arm seam, and it's true to a certain point. But what is also true is that right arm seamers are generally bowl in the power play or at the death. And if you look at quality of bowlers. And every time I say this, left-handers get really upset, but I'm not slagging off the whole left-handed community of the world. What I'm saying is that at the moment, left-handers make up 20, a left-arm seam makes up 20% of seam, right? But left-handers in society don't make up 20% of society. So that means that left-arm seamers are being over-promoted. And why are they being over-promoted? Because it is a weirder skill set. Because you can be a less skillful left-armer and still be a really good player at franchise or international level, right? When it comes down to the crunch times, right, captains don't trust most left-armers. They trust, you know, Neil Wagner in a test match. And they trust Trent Bolt at the start of a power play game and, you know, um, uh, all those sorts of things. But more often than not, if you really ask them, they'll trust the right armor more. Because they think if you're a right-arm bowler to get to the top of the cricket, think about how many other right-arm bowlers you had to climb over to get there, right? They just think they're of a high level of skill, which means that even more so, the right-armer is probably bowling the de- the power play overs of four, five, and six, and then bowling the death in 17, 18, 19, 20, right? And so, of course... Uh, uh, people have a great record against uh, right arm seam because they're facing it in the best overs for batting. Right? Yeah. When you're in the power play and you've faced a couple of balls already and you're set, or you're facing it in the death where you don't really have to worry too much and you can just line them up. And you're already more used to right arm seam than anything else. So what I wanted to show with Shadow really was you that. Also perhaps, because... So, sorry, just one quick point over here yeah. is that whoever does have a premier left arm seamer in T20 cricket, and if they're opening the bowling, 
in the power play, the left arm seamer is really, really lethal. So they might even go at an extra uh, a notch above versus the right arm paces. That's also, you know, a hypothesis. Yeah, and also a lot of the left arm seamers who are good are swing bowlers. So they're more likely mm-hmm. to bowl in the first couple of overs. So there's just all these different things that mean that you, that right arm seamers have to bowl the toughest overs. So even if you're Jasper Brummer, right, um, chances are you have to bowl the toughest overs in a game. In fact, the best one is... Um, Oh my god, I'm gonna forget his name. The guy from Chennai, uh, Tusha Desh- Deshpande. Tusha Deshpande yeah. at the moment, he is bowling the toughest overs in T20 cricket. Right? He's bowled one. He bowls one easy over. He bowls the second over more often than not, about half the time, and then he bowls overs four, five, six, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Right? And we know he's not an above average talent. Right, they're doing that because they're you know Chahar's been injured, and when he has come back, mm-hmm. he hasn't looked that great. You know, they haven't been able to fit extra overseas bowlers in. You know, all those sorts of things, which is fine. But you know, and P- Patharana um, is still young as well, but it means that you've got to have you've got this right arm bowler who's not quite at that level forced to bowl in these sorts of situations. You see that right across cricket, and if you're a right arm bowler who's not quite at the top level, you get absolutely massacred because everyone in world cricket can line you up. So the Shadab story really is to show that it it takes, it's not creative bookkeeping because it's true. What I said, Mm -hmm. he is better against spin. There's absolutely, once you start to break it down, there's absolutely no uh, doubt about it. But if you would just, just glance at it, you go, Oh, he's really good against spin, but he's also really good against pace. And that's where it's Mm -hmm. really important to say, yeah, but lots of people are really good against right arm pace. Right. Very few right. people are against right arm spin. So when you have someone like Shadab, mm-hmm. you have to maximize that. So I would say for him, based on the fact he doesn't average very much, you really want him to come in maybe the ninth, 10th or 11th over. You want him to smash the spinners around. And then you hope he's still around for the 14th, 15th, 16th over when the seamers come back on, mm-hmm. you know, you'll still get you a couple of boundaries at the end. That is how you maximize a player like that. But because of the way that right arm seam works, it actually warps the way that we look at all figures of all players. And even when you have a player who's quite obviously good at spin, we still go, ah, but he's good against pace. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, you have to look at utility and matchups in particular because it's it's a hot topic these days in T20 cricket in particular. And you see some of the more f- successful franchises, then they're all really weighing in on that data and matchups and entry points in particular. And on that same note, just on like a closing note as well, this piece of yours, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things for batters of the future? Because these young guys who are less than 24 years old, as you pointed out, have all of this data at their disposal. They can see exactly or, or pinpoint exactly what they're striking at versus all different kinds of bowlers, what they're averaging versus all different types of bowling. And, you know, compare this to batters of the past where, you know, you just identify that one a matchup that really haunts you and you try to negotiate yeah. it. Cricket has really, really changed. So how do you think, you know, young batters can benefit from this? Yeah, so I think you're right. We're in the first generation of cricketers who, who have grown up. Like if you're a 24-year-old now, probably by the time you were 16, someone would have said your numbers against blah are not particularly good, right? Mm. That just wasn't yeah. happening before. In fact, I remember a major international cricketer, I'd written about him and it was passed to him by by a coach because the, the team didn't have an analyst at the time or didn't have an analyst who picked it up for whatever reason. And this guy thought he was really good against this kind of bowling and, uh, you know, was shocked. Mm. I, in fact, I think with him, he was overconfident. He was going out to it because he was like, I hit these guys for six all the time. Um, and that happens. The old Mark Waugh thing of like, our finger spinners are rubbish, I'll smash them. I think if we went back and looked at Mark Waugh's record, he probably wasn't as good against finger spinners as he thought he was. So it works in both ways. The other thing is that it's now about T20 cricket. The old test players... All they had to do is not go out to that one form of bowling, right. right? Now you have to not go out and score against it. That combination is where we get these really, really remarkably bad records of some of these players. So I do think those two things are massively important from that perspective. I guess we will see one of two things happen, and they will probably both happen at once. And it, is, it sounds like I've got one foot on either side of the fence. But what I think we'll see is we will see a crop of players – who will spend so much time ensuring that they are good against all formats, right? So they'll be all format players who will then be at their best against right arm seam. So they'll be able to face the ball when right. it spins in or spins away. Uh, they will be able to face right arm seam and left arm seam, right? I think those players will exist. 
But I think that when what we will, uh, we will also get is this sort of hyper specialization. Uh, so, you know, think about maybe a wing who plays in football, who probably can't, you know, not maybe not a wing, maybe like a left back who can score goals, but you don't want them out there the whole time because they might let a couple of goals in. But with 15 minutes to go in a game and you need a goal and they're really fast and you put them into the game. Those kinds of players, I think we're going to see more and more of in cricket where you might see, you know, the Ben Dunk type players, uh, you know, okay, well, the other team's best two bowlers are left arm finger spin, right? So we're going to bring in Ben Dunk. Now, they might not play the, they might assume that we're going to do that and not play the two left arm spinners. Fine. That means we've already changed their lineup just by putting Ben Dunk in. Or he plays against them the first game, he smashes them everywhere, and in the next game, they're, ter they're terrified about it, they drop one of them, and we don't play Ben Dunk. That kind of versatility might happen, and I think what you might get is players leaning into the things that they're really, really good at and becoming specialists. But I do think, and, and I'm talking about Rizwan, Baba, Steve Smith, Joe Root, Williamson, those types of players, their only way of staying relevant I think, is the fact that if they can work out how to play all five kinds of bowling. Is it five? Yeah. Six. It must six. be, right? Chinaman. Well, left arm wrist spin doesn't mm -hmm. really exist. But five five <laughs> kinds of bowling, six if you want to get technical. But if you can if you can um, smash all of those different um, kinds of bowling or be above average against all those kinds, it doesn't matter if you're not striking at 160 against right arm seam or you don't dominate off spin. If you can just make sure that you're above on every single one, that is a very handy skill set coming in. And I don't think traditionally that has been something that I'm not saying we've never had players like that before because we possibly have, right? Maybe Sanal Gavasco was that kind of player, right? Maybe there've been other kinds of players throughout history have been like that, but no one's ever, that's never been something that's been pushed in cricket, right? You make your runs the way you make your runs. T20 cricket specifically, but it will be all formats going ahead. The matchups are so we know so much more about the batters now that that will come, and I really think that will be that will be a very very interesting one going forward. But the other thing that I'm always interested in is this epic battle between the best batters in the world and right arm seam, because mm -hmm. right to as I was saying before, to be a right arm seamer, how good do you have to be, right? Because everyone knows how to play it, and you still have a career. Are there more tricks that they can get? And I've noticed very recently that the left arm seamers have started swinging the ball both ways. That is not what mm. the history of cricket tells us, right? Which means that left arm right. seamers are now developing, which means that right arm seamers no longer have that advantage over left arm seam. So what a mm. right arm seam is going to have to come up with. Fascinating, fascinating times ahead. Um, but yeah, it was such a, it's, it really has been, I, I, as I said, I, I thank uh, Ritvik and, um, and, um, uh, Cheyenne for their help as well because I, I needed I needed other head I needed to get this out of my own head I needed four of you I needed you as well to get to get this out of my head and on paper and onto the podcast and everything else because it's such a fascinating thing and really what I wanted to do is just to open it up because I don't think we really think about that side of it and that this is the kind of article or you know podcast or video where it's not going to get like 4 million views, right? No one's ever going to go masses over to this piece. But I hope that in writing pieces like this, this is when people in cricket start to think about things differently and they actually start to plan ahead. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if I have anything to do with the fact that a lot of left armers have become more skillful recently, but that's something that I was going on about for ages. And this is how, th these are the sorts of things we should talk about in cricket because this is a way of moving the game forward. And, you know, if I play one one millionth of a, a role in that, it would be a lot of fun. And I will always claim more um, more than that anyway. <laughs> Let me throw you a curveball just before we end this, actually. I just, just thought about this. Of course, you spoke about how batters of the future could look at it like jack of all trades or master of one. And is that master of one right arm base in particular? But let's talk about the young captains of today, the under 19 mm -hmm. captains in particular. They've got all of this information at their disposal. And I'm talking about under 19 captains in particular because in senior teams, you'll have senior guys as, as skippers. But in under-19 teams, you'll have a young guy as the captain. So how much could they potentially benefit from this sort of information? Because now they have all of that at the disposable, uh, disposal and they can outwit their opposition number. Yeah, I think, I th I think for an under-19 captain, you probably want to know the basics, but I wonder how much you want to know about each individual cricketer. And the reason I say that is 
Undeniably, someone talked to me about this recently. I think it was Ian, one of my Patreons, was talking to me about this. this that first, let's talk about first class cricket for a moment. First class cricket is one of the few places where you don't really practice for it until you're contracted for it, right? There isn't first class, there isn't four day club cricket, right? There isn't mm-hmm. really four day underage cricket. You play a little bit of it, right? And right. under 19 cricket's similar in a slightly different way in that. There will be players who will never will never have played, never have faced a left arm wrist spinner of any decent quality, may never have faced a left arm seamer of eighty miles an hour. So any information you have as an under nineteen cricketer might be completely warped just because if uh, of what they're faced. And this is also why that's the important age, right? Uh, when you get that player into your academy or your franchise setup or whatever it may be at 17, 18, 19, 20, the first thing you want to do as a coaching staff is go, oh, okay, he can't do this. And quite often those things don't, because what happens is some 19-year-old is so good about smashing pace everywhere, right on pace everywhere. It might not be till they're 23 that people work out they can't play off spin. I mean, Ollie Pope mm-hmm. is a really good example of this. I went to Surrey and said, guys, I think he's got a problem with spin. I don't think he can score against spin at first class level, which means I don't think he's going to make any runs against it at international level and he's going to face better spinners. And they laughed at me because they say, he's averaging 80, Jared. What are you talking about? Right? Now, everyone right. agrees with me. So at the under 19 level, it's not even the, you're even before that, right? So it's mm-hmm, also confusing true. and everything else. But I do think the difference is that whether it be Crick HQ or you know, whether you use, you know, NV Play or whatever it is, that, whatever app that you use that allows you to do that, mm-hmm. we should have a pretty good idea what someone can and can't play. And for an under-19 captain, it's just as important for them to know how to best use their batting lineup and their bowling lineup as it is anyone else because there's no point getting to professional level and having a captain for the first time and then suddenly having to learn that sort of stuff, right? So it, it all makes That's sense, true. but it is... It's far more bizarre and, and the way that you work, all that sort of stuff. But what, what I would say is I think that you talk about matchups being really important. I think cricket's got matchups massively wrong. And the reason I've got, I think they've got them wrong is they focus on what you should bowl to the uh, opposition matchups. Actually, what you should be doing is using the, the information that you have to better improve your players. Right? That's where you should yeah. be using all that data. I'm not saying you don't use the, the opposition research stuff. That's great. But that that helps you in one particular game. If you could fix your player against, let, let's say they're really good against right arm seam and they're really good against off spin, you can give them one other skill that they're good against, right? They're now a well above average player. And I think that's where you should be looking to use all that information. And I think too often in cricket, it's still used on the opposition. Anyway, I digress. Good question though. Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Cricket. Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Ecucinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me.
Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.